Great job. Good evening. You know, I feel like I haven't preached on Wednesday night since Halloween. It's been a while, hasn't it? You've enjoyed the break, haven't you? No, stop shaking your head. Yes, I see. I see you. I remember you. You know, when you think about um, a great day or some days that have just had a tremendous impact on the world, those are far and few in between that impact the whole world. One, one arguably would be D-Day, June the 6th, 1944. If you don't know much about D-Day, go home tonight and Google it because you need to know about D-Day. D-Day was really a turning point of World War II when the Allies, Americans and the Allied forces, stormed the beaches of France and began uh, to take back over Europe from the Nazis. It, it really was, uh, I've heard some historians say it was the beginning of the end for Hitler, so that had to be good for the world, didn't it? But it, it was a day that really, that was a tremendous day. A lot, a lot of terrible things happened, but it was a great day. This evening, we're in Acts chapter 2. We started last September a sermon series out of Acts 1 and 2. We titled it, Our Roots, Where We Come From as Christians uh, and as a church, and we're going to be in Acts 2, 37 through 41, and we have one more sermon next week, and then we will move on to a new sermon series of the 1st of February on spiritual growth, how to grow as a believer, uh, which is obviously extremely important to all of us. But uh, tonight, in Acts chapter 2, we looked several weeks back at the day of Pentecost. Do you remember that, where the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues? All what we're seeing happened on the same day. Some historians say that this is the birthday of the Christian church, and in some regards, it, it really is. And man, what a powerful day it was. So I want us to look at some principles in these passages, in these verses that I think can really impact us. Here's the first thing, really the fundamental thing. When God's truth is proclaimed powerfully, powerful things can happen. I think almost all of us in here tonight would agree with that. When the, when the Word of God, when the truth of God, when the principles of God are taught and are spoken and are shared, not just preached, from, from power, man, lot, eternity can be changed. In verse 36, it says, now this is Peter, he's been preaching to them. Remember, they came up and accused the apostles of being drunk. You remember that? And Peter says, we're not drunk, it's just nine in the morning. I mean, he left that open-ended like, hey, come back at one and we'll be, uh, you know, he should have clarified that more. You agree with me? So let everyone in Israel know for certain, these are all Jewish people. Now listen to what he's fixing to say. That God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. You, that took guts, didn't it? He's looking at a bunch of Jewish people and he's saying, hey, the Jesus you just killed 40 days ago, by the way, Son of God, promised Messiah, the Lord, God in the flesh, that's pretty powerful. It was truth, and there is no question Peter was passionate when he said that. You go down to verse 40, it says, Peter continued preaching for a long time. Now, see, some of you are going to be, if I hit 655 tonight, some of you are getting nervous. Peter and Paul may have gone on for three hours, so thank God for me when it comes to brevity, okay? It's a humble call, of course, on my part. Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urgent with passion. He urged all of his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Every generation 
since I've been growing up, you know, we say, oh, this, this world's terrible. This world's terrible. Peter was saying that. The world's crooked 2,000 years ago. It's at odds with God. And it says he, stra- he strongly urged, again, with passion, he pleaded with him. I love in 2 Corinthians 5, when Paul's talking about, God through Paul is talking about leading people to Christ. He says, I beg you to come to Christ. That's passion, isn't it? Now, when I talk about proclaiming God's truth, I'm not talking about just preaching. Preaching should be proclaiming God's truth. When you teach a connection group class this Sunday, many of you, you ought to be proclaiming God's truth. When when you are teaching or leading a Bible study, you ought to be proclaiming God's truth. Wayne, when we sing, we should be proclaiming God's truth. When you're sitting around talking to friends and you share your story and you're telling them about Jesus, not just salvation, anything, you know what? You are proclaiming God's truth. Does that make sense? So this isn't for the preacher. This is for all of us. How, the, the question is not should we do this and, and what it is. How do we do it in power? Let me give you two ideas. One, power has to do with presentation. Listen, when you know something and you're passionate about it, it comes through, doesn't it? And so if I'm going to deliver something in power, I believe it begins with that, that I'm, I do it with boldness. I do it with clarity. Now, you've you got to have a little idea what you're talking about to do that. But that you don't stutter. Listen, do you think it's popular to tell people Jesus is the only way to heaven? No. Do you need to stand up in a sweet voice and say passionately, Jesus said I'm the only way to heaven. Salvation has found no one else. Yes, when you, when you know the truth and you own the truth, you can share it with passion. See, some good questions. Do, do you know it a little bit? You don't have to know a lot. But is it yours? Power comes when you're sharing something from your heart that you believe. Now, the second part of power is the messenger, not just the message. If you're going to deliver the message of God in power, you've got to be the right kind of person. The, 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 the loudest screaming is preacher who's far from God's not going to preach with power. He's going to be obnoxious, but it's not going to be with power. Power comes from a couple places. It comes from purity. Not perfection, but listen, you can't be a dirty vessel and expect God to use you. I heard someone say years ago, God can use a dumb vessel, an uneducated vessel, and you're saying, amen, he does around here a lot. Uh, But God can't use a dirty vessel. Part of delivering in power is purity. And, And just fundamentally, your walk with Christ. Listen, you minister, you should, from the overflow of your life. Listen, you know why a lot of us don't tell people about Jesus? Our well is dry. You need to minister and share from the overflow. So you're going to proclaim the truth in power, even if it's singing. Even, you go, well, I'm just sharing my testimony. And sharing your testimony to your friend, you're going to do that with power when you believe the message, you own the message, and when your heart is where it needs to be with God. And when we deliver the message with power, great things can happen. Let me share with you what happened in this story. Number one, it hammers on hearts. And, and I want to say this too, uh, when we talk about when we talk about proclaiming the truth, it's not just the gospel or salvation. It can be on tithing or a recommitment. It can be on a thousand things. So keep that in mind too. But when you share the truths of God with power, it hammers on people's hearts. Look in verse thirty-seven. Peter's words pierced their hearts. 
And they said to him and other people, the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? The word pierce there means sting. It means to, to, to sting and to the quick or all the way through. Yet Homer, the, the Greek playwright, said this biblical, and it was used in secular Greek, this word for sting or pierce was the, was the idea of a horse on a dirt road when it got to galloping, how it would indent its hoofs into the dirt and leave a mark. Listen, when God's truth is proclaimed, it stirs the heart. It pricks the heart. It leaves an indent on people's hearts. A missionary to an Indian village years ago had gone into this village, and the people had never really heard about Jesus. He spent some time explaining the gospel, and then he had some old slides, and he put them up on the, the whitewashed wall. They were is at night, and he was showing them the story of Jesus. These people hadn't heard the story of Jesus. And they see a picture of Jesus on the cross, and a man gets up and interrupts the whole thing, and he's crying, and he's saying, that should be me on that cross. He's dying for my sins. That should be me. That's the truth piercing a heart. Andy, I'm going to tell, share with you something Andy wrote and, and shared with me on this passage. Andy said, the truth shouldn't prick your heart unless it should prick your heart. <laughs> and, and, and Andy, I think you said it a little bit better. You said, the truth shouldn't hurt unless it should hurt. Thought about that? Well, I don't want to hear another sermon on that. Why? Well, you know, obviously if it's boring and it's preached on every Sunday, I agree, but When the word's proclaimed and the Spirit's involved, it touches people's hearts. It impacts people's hearts. And like Andy said, maybe the truth sometimes hurts because it should. You hear a message about salvation. Tonight you'll hear this psalm. You may feel the piercing of the Holy Spirit on your heart. That's, you need to pay attention to that. You hear a message on tithing, and oh, we don't want to hear that. Why? I want to tell you, if I go hear a message on tithing, it doesn't bother me at all. I got a thousand sins, but I'm a good tither. There's other things that would pierce my heart pretty good. So make it personal for you. Why is the message piercing your heart? To to come back to God, to be saved, to, to surrender to whatever God's calling your life to be. But when the word's proclaimed, it pierces hearts. And here's the second part of this, piercing the heart, that's so neat. It gives us an opportunity to explain salvation to people. You know, this is the neatest thing. I've seen it happen a hundred times as a pastor. But I've seen it happen in Bible studies. I've seen it happen in other places. When you're talking about something completely unrelated to salvation, I mean, you're talking about worship, you're talking about giving, you're talking about service, you're talking about uh, 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 loving other people. And then someone will get saved that night. Or someone will stop you and say, tell me about Jesus. You know why? Because when the, when the heart is pierced from powerful proclamation, it gives us a chance to explain salvation. Look in verse 37. Their hearts were pierced and they said, what should we do? Now, th- this is interesting and important. Some people on the, the, the far end of the predestination on, on salvation would say God's chosen some to be saved. He's chosen some not to be saved. It's pretty good to be in the chosen category. Would you agree? And then I've heard them say that 
God saves and you can't do anything. So people say, what must we do to be saved and you can't do anything? Look in verse 38. That's not what Peter said. They said, what must we do? Peter didn't say, you can't do anything. Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's neat there. He says, each of you. Folks, remember, God doesn't have any grandchildren. And you're not going to heaven because your wife is pretty and she's saved. Each of us has to respond. Each person you know has to respond. Here's the things he lays about, out about salvation that are so simple and powerful. Number one is repentance. Each of you must repent. The biblical word repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. When you repent, you reflect on your life and you say, I need to go in a different direction. I say this a lot. It's not about perfection, but it's about a new direction. You're not going to be sinless, but you need to be be headed in a different direction. Does that make sense? And isn't it neat that Jesus said when he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And and when Peter is, is teaching these people, and they said, what do we need to do to be saved? And the first thing he says is you need to repent. Listen, here's the problem. We've baptized too many people that hadn't repented. And you don't get saved just because you believe some things. You get saved when you repent and you do the other things listed here. It, you repent and you turn to God. You turn to Jesus. Listen to what he says. Repent and, from your sins and turn to God. Now, he talks about in the name of Jesus. You look down in verse 41. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized. What does it mean to turn to God? It means that you say, you know what? Something's wrong in my life for you tonight, for you to explain to someone else. And I need a new life direction. And I'm going to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to believe he's the son of God that died and that he arose and that he is the way to salvation. Salvation is believing in a person and believing in a message of Jesus Christ. That's what he tells us to do. Turn to God in the name of Jesus Christ. And he says something here, and this is really important. Then he says, be baptized. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, how many of you know this verse right here is controversial? Did you know that before you came in here? You are going to learn something tonight before you leave. Why do you think it's controversial? Are you still with me? Because you can read this casually, and it's saying that baptism is part of salvation. Is it not? Is it possibly? What does the word baptize mean? Baptize means to be submersed. It means to be immersed. The Greeks used the word baptism, baptizo, to talk about a ship sinking. Now, if you go to a church and and they sprinkle, I'm not condemning that at all. We don't believe the mode of of baptism saves you or doesn't save you, but we baptize by immersion because that's what the biblical word means. Does that make sense? So to baptize is to submerge somebody. That's the first thing. But the question, is it essential for salvation? Now, listen, this is a heaven and hell question for you tonight. If it's essential for salvation, some of you better get down here tonight and get baptized. Tonight. We'll baptize you Sunday. Uh Uh-uh, you better get baptized tonight. If it's essential for salvation and you need to be baptized, how many of you want to wait till Sunday? 
Good, smart crowd tonight. Well, what do we do with this? There's denominations that believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. Good friends in, uh, in some of those groups that you believe, you repent, and you're baptized, and therefore you're saved. We as Baptists have kind of hung our hats that we don't believe that is the case. What is the case? Well, baptism goes back thousands of years. If you were a non-Jewish person and you wanted to convert to Judaism, one of the things you had to do was to be baptized. You had to be baptized. So they understand it, it was a, a, a rolling into Judaism, and for Christianity, it was taking on something uh, very important to them. But the question, is it essential or is it important? And I want to tell you what I want to believe. I, I believe it's important but not essential. And why that is so huge to you. Now, if you're taking notes, nowhere else in Acts, when Peter talks about salvation, and he's going to in chapter 3, does he tie baptism into it. Isn't that interesting? Paul was, was debating with some people, I believe in Corinth, and he said, you know, they were claiming they followed this guy, they followed this guy. And Paul said, well, I baptized some of you, some of you I didn't. And, and basically he said, it doesn't matter. Here's something else that's very interesting. You know how many people we have record of Jesus baptized? Can you count that high? Zero. Now, now folks, I, I believe with all my heart that if Paul believed that you had to be baptized to be saved, he would have been dunking them right there himself. Listen, if, if I believe that, I wouldn't leave it up to the youth minister. <laughs> I, I'd, be, I'd be doing it myself immediately. If Jesus would have tied that into salvation, I believe he would have been baptizing everyone that was converted. And we have no record of him baptizing anyone. Now, folks, when you look at big doctrines like, like baptism, you have to look at the context of the whole Bible, okay? The context of understanding truths, you've got to understand the Bible. I'm going to give you just a few verses. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is, is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, two of the fundamental passages of the faith, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Not, salvation is not a reward for your good works that you've done, that we can boast about it. Isn't it interesting, 99% of the passages in the New Testament talk about salvation do not mention baptism? Do you find a significance there? Folks, I hope, I hope I'm not boring you too much because this is gigantic. I mean, this is, this is gigantic. Now, again, here's what we've done because we believe it's important but not essential, we've downplayed it. Well, if you want to get baptized, that's fine. Or we'll wait a little while and we'll do it in two or three years or whatever. No, I don't want, you don't want to force a kid into the baptistry for sure. But in, in Judaism, for these people, and 3,000 are fixing to get baptized in a minute, you know what that meant? It, it meant that most of them were going to be cut off from their families it meant that they were going to be kicked out of their synagogues and, and lose their source of income. To be baptized in the name of Jesus was to be identified with Jesus. See, if we baptize, we baptized three last Sunday morning. And hopefully we'll baptize some this Sunday morning. And it's wonderful. It's great. But I've never baptized somebody that got beat when they got home because they got baptized. 
In, in Athens, Greece, this was probably eight or nine years ago, a Muslim man had got out of Iran and he got to Athens looking for freedom. But he was living with some very orthodox, strong family members who were Muslims. He converted to Christianity. They found out about it. They really didn't bother him too much until they found out he was getting baptized. The morning he was getting baptized, I'm not making this up, they got a pot of water, boiling water, went into his bedroom while he was sleeping and threw the scalding water on him, burning both legs and one of his arms very bad. He showed up that morning, burned, and got baptized. And he walked out of that water, and he said, I'll stand in the middle of the street and declare to anybody, Jesus is my Lord. See, why is baptism important? Because it identifies you with Jesus Christ. It is a public profession. When he explains salvation here, he says, you need to repent, you need to believe in Christ, and you need to be willing to let the world know that you're a follower of his. Baptism matters. It's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of the cleansing, but it's identifying with Jesus Christ. Folks, several years ago in our Southern Baptist Convention, we have about 44,000 churches, 44,000 churches in the America, 10,000 baptized zero. That's a problem because if you're not baptizing people, you're not having people being born again and professing Christ. It's not essential, but it is so important. Some of you need to be baptized. And what a great thing that he shows us here. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is an outward way that you show that you are saved. Now, I want to share with you some other little tidbits in here. Three little, not little, but three great things of salvation are seen in these verses. Salvation, there's a thousand great things, but I want us to look at three that show up in this passage. You're saved, this is for you. You get saved, this is for you. You're sharing salvation, this is for you. You tell them to repent, to believe, and to be willing to profess Christ. Here's here's number one, forgiveness of sin happens when we are saved. How many of you think that's good? (laughs) Look in verse 38. Each of you must repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. The word forgiveness there is a great word. It means to remit. It means to send away. It means to, it means to release the sins and the guilt and the burden of the sins from the sinner. Isn't that wonderful? You see, when you were saved, all your past sins were forgiven. The sin of unbelief was forgiven. And you entered into a relationship with Jesus. If you will stay close to him and confess your sins, your sins are forgiven daily. Isn't that wonderful? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But man, the blood of Jesus can. Salvation means the forgiveness of your sin. How many of you tonight are excited that someday when you stand before God, he's not going to go back before you were a Christian and and run the video projector? How many of you are glad about that? If you're not, you're a liar. (laughs) You are glad about that. And some of us are way more glad about that. Forgiveness of sin. Here's the second thing. We get the Holy Spirit. If it's not good enough to be forgiven, great enough, we get the Holy Spirit. He says, repent, be baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. What do you think about this? Now, this is interesting. Early in Acts chapter 2, they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Here they received the Holy Spirit they're not going to. It's important to know that. These people had just crucified the Son, and now the message is you killed the Son, but if you'll give your life to Him, we'll give you the Spirit. 
You just killed the second part of the Trinity, but we're going to give you the third part if you'll repent. Isn't that cool? Isn't God gracious? What is the Holy Spirit when we get the Holy Spirit? Man, that's God's assurance. That's God's deposit. You know, that, that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a deposit guaranteeing our heavenly home. It's God's seal, God's seal that secures us and puts his stamp on us, on your heart and soul. It says you belong to Jesus. Isn't that great? And the Holy Spirit is God in you to empower you, to give you courage, to gift you, and give you strength. That's good stuff, isn't it? When you got saved, or if you will tonight, you got God and Spirit to come live in you. There's no better deal than that. I don't care if it's December 26th. There's no better deal than that. And here's the last part. Salvation's for everybody. It's for everybody. Verse 39. The promise is to you and to your children, even to Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Now, now folks, think about this. He's telling them, you can be saved. You just crucified. You can be saved. Not only you, but your kids can be saved. And by the way, you know the Gentiles who you think God hates? (laughs) They're going to be saved, too, if they'll come to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you are glad that salvation includes you? Now, it confuses sometimes. It says here, it says, but all who have been called by the Lord. And some people have heard now that that will, now, now, wait a second. That means some aren't going to be called, so they're, going to, they're chosen to fry for eternity. Is that what it means? I don't think it's what it means. Again, you have to look at the Bible in context. I'm not going to read it all, but if you go home and read these verses again, the whole time he is pleading for everyone to decide. He's not saying, no, some of you don't need to even worry about this because you're not chosen. He's, every one of you need to decide. Acts 2.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Read that out loud. Folks, you can't be saved apart from the Holy Spirit calling you. But what I believe is that the Holy Spirit wants to call you and that you have to respond. I'll read you a quote from somebody. I think it's a very good quote. No man is excluded from from calling upon God. The gate of salvation is set open unto all men. Neither is there any other thing which keepeth us back from entering in save only our own unbelief. That was by John Calvin, the father of Calvinism and predestination. He was not a good Calvinist there, was he? little theological humor. Andy laughed. But uh, salvation's for everybody, which is awesome. And just closing with this, when God's word is truth or proclaimed, life can be changed forever. How many of you believe that as a church we're in the life-changing business? When we decide we're not, let's shut the doors, please. Verse verse 41, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 people. Can you imagine this? We, We started church this morning with 120 Monday morning, the secretary gets up and goes, good grief, we've got 3,120 on the road. Wouldn't that be awesome? Listen, I have actually heard some very nice, well-intended ministers say, well, we don't don't need too many people getting saved yet. We don't have enough people here to disciple them. Crazy. Folks, if 10,000 come this Sunday and get saved, we're going to rejoice, aren't we? We're not going to panic. 
We're going to rejoice. And we'll take up enough money from them to build the children's building easily, right? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, some people say, how? Oh, they couldn't baptize 3,000 people in one day. That's impossible. All around Jerusalem in this time were little baptismal pools. They did ritual baptisms and cleansing and this. So you know what? They just grabbed 10 people. Reggie, you can take those 10 over there. Wayne, you get 10. Give me the 10 smallest. I'll take them. And, uh, and you baptize 3,000 people. Can you imagine how awesome a day that was? Folks, here's the truth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Salvation's the same way. We get the same things when we're saved today. They did then. And when we proclaim the truth, whether it's salvation, tithing, commitment, the call of God to people, and power, great things can happen. Have they happened for you? If you're not a Christian tonight, when we stand, would you come? Would you come or catch me at this door over here after church? Let's cross that line with Jesus tonight. God's calling you. Will you say yes to him? You're here and you'd like to join the church. You can do it afterwards or you can come and do it right now. Maybe you know you need to get baptized. You say, I'm saved, but I need to be baptized as a follower of Christ. We're going to have the water ready to go Sunday. We'd do it tonight if we thought it was essential. We don't think it's essential. We think it's important. We'll do it Sunday. And Christian, are you sharing the truths of God? Oh, that's the preacher's job. That's the de- No, that's your job. That's all of our jobs. And are you doing it in power? Let's make a commitment to do that, to be who we should be, so we can do what we should be doing. Let's stand. God leads you. You come. We'll be waiting on you.